Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today I'm talking to Curtis Sargent. For 25 years he's been a catalyst for church planting movements. He saw his first church planting movement in China, then in India, then amongst people with a Muslim background, and today he's seeing movements amongst people in North America. I began by asking Curtis about his background. So I through elementary school in South Korea and then junior high and high school in Taiwan. Came back to the States for school, then went overseas and served among an unengaged, unreached people group in southern China. Saw a, a major CPM happen there and then began training other people to catalyze movements like that and um, spent full-time the next three years doing that and then part-time another nine years while I was also back working in China and so was involved in a lot more you know movements from people we were training from around the world at that time and then um, came to the U.S. served as vice president for global strategies with the International Mission Board, which is a Southern Baptist denominational agency. And then um, left there to go work um, on senior staff at Saddleback Church out in California. It's a you know fairly large church here in the States. And um, the focus there was equipping their members to start reproducing churches among unengaged people groups, just their their lay people in their church there. Then, actually, I had a, a dream that um, I was supposed to join a specific agency that I hadn't heard of. So um, the next day, I uh, quit my job there, and uh, my wife and I moved to... Um, halfway across the country and uh, joined that agency. Fortunately, they accepted us <laughs> and uh, served with E3 Partners Ministry as their international vice president. And then, after three years there, had another dream that we were supposed to move to southern Alabama, and where we had no history and no connections. So um, we left and moved almost another halfway across the country and um, there we have started a training center to train North American lay people primarily in how to catalyze church planting movements. And so that's what we've been involved in the last, last couple of years. What's the name of the center? It's Meta Camp, M-E-T-A Camp. So our website, if you're interested, is metacamp.org. And uh, we have some training calendar on there and a little bit of information. So what are you learning about training lay people, ordinary people, for CPM work in in the U.S.? Um, Actually, quite a lot. Um, As you might guess, uh, I was absolutely no expert on the North American context since I had grown up overseas and then I served almost my entire adult life overseas. 
Um, the U.S. was, you know, a foreign country. Um, the good news is, you know, as a missionary and someone with missions training, I'm kind of used to working cross-culturally, so at least I knew where to start trying to figure it out. And slowly I'm, I'm starting to get more and more of a feel for the context here. First, we sort of had to decide what were the key topics that we wanted to cover and then, you know, how long to do training and, you know, just how to do follow-up coaching and those sorts of things. Because we do some training at our place in Alabama, but then I also travel and do training at other locations, both in the United States and still around the world. I travel a lot. Um, so what we sort of settled on for the U.S. context was um, four modules. And the first module is on being and making multiplying disciples. And it also covers make or starting multiplying simple churches. And um, the second module is on stewarding networks. So after you've begun multiplying these simple churches... How do you handle ongoing leadership training? How do you handle uh, accountability among the churches? Issues like that so that you can continue to scale these movements. The third module is on how to do this among oral learners. And then the fourth module is how to effectively integrate holistic ministry in a way that uses the same principles and reinforces the disciple-making rather than serving as some kind of a distraction or creating dependency or something like that. So those are the four primary modules. And I just got two questions okay. uh, come to mind. One is, uh, why a whole module on oral learners in the United States? Yeah, well, um, in the United States... We don't have a high percentage of what we call primary oral learners, but almost our entire society now are secondary oral learners. And um, while there are you know, some different approaches between primary and secondary, really if you target work toward primary oral learners, it's appropriate for almost anyone, including literate learners but not vice versa. And so since we have so many secondary oral learners, the principles that we're learning to work with primary oral learners are still helpful reminders to us. Like, for instance, I happen to know you're a fan of story. Mm. Well, that's because story is a major way that oral learners think. Mm. They don't think in terms of syllogisms, logical arguments, things like that, they think in terms of story. And so as you well know, even in the West, the dominant culture is that we are communi- We prefer communication via story. Mm. So s- s- sitcoms or television shows, movies, I guess novels, right. that's how people like to learn. Yes, and those examples you gave happen to be more typical of secondary oral learners. They, in, they um, typically like to include the visual aspect, whereas primary oral learners are usually quite happy with just the oral aspect, but the story element is in common. So that's an example. So it's very helpful skills to have 
even in North America, where we don't have a huge percentage of primary oral learners. Okay. Other question was, what what do you mean? What do you understand to be holistic ministry? That yes. By to that, by that, um, we're referring to issues related to food, water, health, justice issues. You know, a whole range of topics or aspects of ministry that are actually very popular, you know, right now. But the American church tends to um, nearly always react in terms of what we would call a relief approach. A relief approach is appropriate if there's imminent loss of life possible, you know. And so yeah, we need to step in and do something for people to keep them from dying. But the problem is, anytime there's a shortage or a problem in any of these fields, our tendency is to use a relief approach when the vast majority of cases, a development approach is what's appropriate. And if we use relief approaches, we're creating dependency, we're undercutting their ability to become self-sufficient and to help others and all kinds of problems. And really, good development work uses the same principles that we utilize in church planting movements in regard to disciple-making. And and so there's really a strong parallel. So Mm -hmm. if you're working in that way, consciously, intentionally, those types of ministry can actually reinforce one another. Okay, so relief work would typically be we'll we'll hand out food, which is great if someone's starving. Development work is we'll um, provide some some training, which which is a form of discipleship that'll help this person find the right sort of employment. Yeah, it'll help them be able to feed themselves, whether that's through better farming methods, whether that, I mean, there's a whole range of how that might happen. What we do is we help them even diagnose the problem, prioritize the issues they want to deal with, and then figure out how to use available resources to do that. So we're equipping them with a set of skills that they can use in community to address those issues. And that's integrated into... Uh, making disciples and multiplying churches. Absolutely, yes. How about we talk about that first module? Yes, and because that's the one that I feel every follower of Christ needs to be equipped with these skills. The the other modules are in some sense optional or you know only appropriate for certain people, but the disciple making module is for every follower of Christ, and it's. All of these modules are one week in duration. Now, under pressure, under duress, I have done some abbreviated Module 1 trainings that are, you know, like a weekend in length. Um, However, I've found that the percentage of people who actually fruitfully implement after a weekend version is far, far less than those who go through the full week version. I think it's a combination of um, not having the processing time, not having the as much practice 
of the skills time, you know, the repetition and various things like that. So if I do the abbreviated version, I, I insist that the, the local people who are asking me to do that wherever I'm traveling, that they do the follow-up coaching because I just feel it's not worth my time because there's going to be such a small percentage who fruitfully implement. However, if I do the full week, at the conclusion of it, we have them develop a three-month plan that's a, sort of a fill-in-the-blank type of three-month plan, and then I'll follow up with them for the next three months, once a week for the first month, once every two weeks for the second month, and then once more at the end of the third month. And then if they want to, they can opt in for ongoing monthly contact. So what we're covering there is, again, being and making multiplying disciples. So we break it down into some um, skill sets or competencies that we're wanting them to develop and sort of a toolkit that provides at least some tools for them to address each of those competencies. And that's sort of how the, the week is structured. So some of the things we're looking for in terms of competencies are, first of all, dual accountability. And by that, I simply mean accountability to apply what the Lord teaches us <clears throat> and to be passing that on to others. So accountability in both of those fashions. So the tools that we use reflect that in the structure. Another competency is to be self-feeding um, spiritually. And particularly we look at four aspects of that. One is being able to interpret and apply scripture. One is uh, the broad issue of prayer and so that includes, of course, listening, prayer, you know, the, the typical, what we normally think of as prayer, you know, with intercession and all of that, teaching through prayer, evangelism through prayer, so mm -hmm. many aspects like that. The third area of self-feeding is body life. Um, here in the West, um, as in Australia, um, our societies are very individualistic, you know, kind of on a spectrum. We would be way toward the individualism end. And disciple-making is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And so we talk about that and about the corporate aspects of disciple-making and how to equip people in that. And then the fourth area of self-feeding is in regard to persecution and suffering. This is one we don't like to talk about, um, but unfortunately, um, Scripture talks a whole lot about it. <laughs> and we're told that um, it's not optional. Anybody who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, you know, mm -hmm. Almost the entire book of 1 Peter, that's the primary theme. And whether it's Paul or the writer of Hebrews or James or Peter, listing all of these godly character traits that are only developed through suffering. All of the aspects of faith, you know, causing us to lean more entirely upon Him, 
strengthening our faith, purifying our faith, proving our faith, equipping us for ministry to others who are suffering. I mean, all of these different ways that God says He grows us through persecution and suffering. And if we're intentional and aware of that in our disciple-making processes, it can help people not become bitter or angry or discouraged or depressed or disillusioned whenever they're suffering. You know, if they don't know that that's expected and that's normal and that God can bring good out of it, when they begin to face all of these difficulties, that can happen, you know, all those negative consequences. But if they realize God can redeem that, God works through that, then we can be intentional in actually accruing the benefits that he's intending for us in the persecution and the suffering. And so we spend time talking about how to do that in the disciple-making process. And then, of course, related to these, we have tools that can assist us to do this, or you know, patterns or practices that we can have. Um, another aspect or competency that we aim for is to help people have eyes to see where the kingdom isn't. And that's, that's not a natural thing. You know, we're geared to look at what is. Mm-hmm. But what isn't is important. For instance, in the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, Jesus prays, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, that's acknowledging that there's a gap between what is and what God intends. And that gap is what we are to be about as emissaries of the kingdom, you know, closing that gap. And so, um, on the disciple-making and simple church-planting front of that, for example, that, that should make us more aware of places where the gospel isn't. Geographic areas, ethnic groups, linguistic groups, socioeconomic groups, we should constantly be on the lookout for the places that are the darkest so that we can impact that for the kingdom. You know, we can claim that for the kingdom. And so we teach that in two spheres. Um, one sphere is your network of ongoing relationships, your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers people that you can have ongoing contact with. And so we teach a set of principles and approaches and ways of thinking about that sphere to help people become fruitful disciple-makers in that sphere. And then there's everywhere else, you know, all the way to the ends of the earth. And so then we teach some other tools and ways of thinking and, you know, practices to use fruitfully in that area. And it's important that we include both. The, the fastest kingdom growth comes in that first sphere. But the supernatural and, in a sense, the most important part is that second sphere. It's not natural for me to be concerned about somebody on the other side of the world. But God's very concerned about them. And getting the gospel to the farthest reaches, to the last person, to the last place, 
God is all about that. And so we need to have skills constantly and awareness of working in both of those spheres so that we can achieve all that God intends for us. You know, walk in those good works that He's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And then the all of this is on sort of being a disciple, but to make it multiplying disciples, then we spend a lot of time playing out how you help others get on this path in a way that they will help others get on this path and so on, so that we're making multiplying disciples. And so we do that through... Um, sort of a a fairly detailed look at what I call the training cycle, model, assist, watch, and leave. And so we address how to do that multi-generationally in a way that you're building the capacity for them to do that multi-generationally. What do you mean by generationally? Yeah, so um, I start a simple church that starts another simple church, that starts another simple church. Only not just one, we're doing this actually multiples in each generation. But um, so it an, becomes an ongoing pattern, and it, it becomes an exponential growth curve. And um, so in, in a nutshell, that's what we do. And then we'll practice the tools that help achieve these purposes and then help them make a plan on how they'll begin the first steps in implementing those and then coach them through that process post-training. And um, we found it to be very, very fruitful. Um, So we're seeing success in multiple places around the country and around the world. And that really makes me happy because my heart's actually around the world, and I would be somewhere else if God hadn't specifically asked me to be here right now. So I'm particularly heartened that people who come through this training often then are envisioned and feel empowered to um, begin working overseas. Um, Many of them not having planned to before, but after the training, they catch a vision for that. But even in the U.S., we're seeing very fruitful implementation of this. Can you give us an example of... um where you've seen the fruitfulness? Yeah, um, there's a whole you know, bunch of places where we're seeing some fruitfulness. Probably um, the most fruitful in the U.S. is somebody that um, we trained last year, and he's from Tampa, Florida, and they've already seen um, 14 streams, and by streams, um, we, they have a stream of Muslims, a stream of Hindus, a stream of um, homeless people, a stream of um, preteen and early teens, and there'll be churches planted among these various streams to eighth generation in 12 of the streams, and seventh generation in a couple of more of the streams. So, and so, so people what, have come to faith from those different people. Yes. And out of those people who are coming to faith, they form simple churches Yes, form simple churches, and then they plant others. Okay, down down to to eight eight generations? Yes, yes, that's right. And so, and some of them are white collar, some of them, as I said, are homeless. We've got, had a lot of success there among mental hospital patients, prisoners, 
um, various ethnicities, African-American, Hispanic, Anglo, as well as, you know, multiple countries from the Hindu and Muslim streams. So, you know, it's a, a very, you know, diverse fruit. It's not just, you know, one kind of people. Um, although I will um, say that the majority are, you know, more lower class, but there are some, you know, white-collar, middle-class streams as well. So it's not exclusively lower class. And these are mostly new, new believers. Yes, yeah. And so now, those churches and disciples that are making disciples and planting churches, they haven't all done the training but some key team members, uh, catalysts, mm-hmm. have, have done the training right. and then implemented. Is that... And the, then their training, those people training and what them they learn In their setting. Yes. So the training is, is for people who want to be... They've got to do it hands-on, but they're, they're going to be the catalyst, but the training will equip them... To equip to, others. To equip others. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's very exciting. Um, did you ever think that this could happen in in the U.S.? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's been about almost 25 years since I catalyzed the first one that I did in China, and then I began training others. And people, you know, would say, "Oh, yeah, that was China. We work in India. That could never happen in India." And then, of course, we know multiple movement started in India. And then people would say, oh, that's Asia, but that could never happen among Muslims. And then we had a significant one among Muslims. And then people would say, oh, but those were just folk Muslims. Those weren't, you know, serious Muslims. And then we had one among serious Muslims. And then they'd say, yeah, but those weren't Arab Muslims. And then we had them among Arab Muslims. And then they'd say, oh, but that could never happen in a Catholic context. And then we had them in Catholic contexts. And then they were saying, well, this could never happen in North America. Mm. I had no doubt. Mm. Um, God is able. What I would always say to those people is, you're right. God can't do that through you. Because you don't believe in God. Get out of the way. (laughs) Let's find somebody who can do it.